Welcome to the Valor Fire Training Podcast. We're glad you're here because this podcast is designed for you, the fire service community, to learn about tactics, training, and culture. In each episode, we'll sit down with influential firefighters to discuss hot topics and current events. Before we dive in, remember that you can find entertaining video versions of each episode along with more on our YouTube channel. Just search Valor Fire Training, subscribe, and hit the notification button to be alerted when new content is added. And now, here's your host, Dave Mellon. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Dave Mellon with Valor Fire Training for our next podcast with Dave McGlynn. How's it going, man? What's up, brother? How you doing? <laughs> I just, can you say that again a little slower? <laughs> what's up, brother? How you doing? <laughs> no, just the how you doing part. Just the how you, how you doing. doing? <laughs> so Dave and I have been friends for a long time. Uh, Dave and I hit it off pretty quick. Uh, cause we have very similar personalities. Uh, you're about as crazy as I am just a little bit more. And, uh, we, we got to having some discussions and it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. So I'm really happy to have him on the show. Uh, for those of you that don't know him, he's been in the fire service since 2001. Uh, you were previously the training chief at West Point, correct? Yep. Very cool. And you're now the chief at, uh, uh, Letterkenny. I'm an assistant chief at Letterkenny. Assistant chief at Letterkenny. Uh, and, uh, I always love saying that cause you know, when I tell people about you and I'm like, Hey, he's over at Letterkenny and they're like, Letterkenny has a fire department. I'm like, yeah, no, it's a place. Show it's, you. Yeah. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. I don't, have you ever seen those two dudes? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a so, funny show. Yeah. No, it's funny. Uh, I get kind of burned out on their, uh, on their satire, but, uh, you have a lot more to you. Uh, you teach a lot about, uh, training. Uh, and you've taught at FDIC, you've taught, uh, regionally, nationally, uh, and you do some very amazing things. So, uh, is there anything else that I missed that you want to talk about? Nah, man, I appreciate, I appreciate covering all that. Thanks. <laughs> He's not a self promoter. If you haven't guessed. No, no, I'm, not, I'm honestly not. I'm not. <laughs> no, that's cool. So, uh, today we're going to talk about leadership. Uh, the conversations that you and I have had previously, uh, about almost everything in life. Uh, when we talk about leadership, you have some very unique views on things and I wanted to pick your brain so that the listeners can, can learn more about that. So let's start with, uh, how do you view leadership in the fire service? Uh, how's it supposed to be? I mean, we could sit there and talk about all these different methodologies and all these different things, but let's start with how do you think leadership should be in the fire service? Oh, well, they, they, so you need to be accessible. Um, you know, you need to be somebody who's approachable and accessible, um, but trustworthy. Uh, you know, I learned this thing about mutual trust a long time ago. Uh, and it's very, um, it's very much one of the biggest characteristics in, uh, fire service leadership in all leadership is, uh, you know, if your people trust you to make the right decision that benefits them and you trust them to go and execute, uh, it's just such a great process. It's such a well-oiled machine or greased machine, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that accessibility comes along with that mutual trust. If uh, if they stop coming to you, and I know that you know we've heard that before in, in different people's uh, writings and teachings, but it's the truth. You know, if they stop coming to you if they don't talk to you about stuff. If uh, they get up <laughs> and walk out of the room when you walk in and sit down at the at the kitchen table or whatever. Um, I don't want to pick on anybody that that's happened to because, you know, I, I, I feel for you. But if you're in the position of leadership or like that call or like I like to call a position of influence, 
Uh, you might want to change the change gears a little bit, maybe adjust. Because if you're walking in a room and they're walking out, uh, there's no mutual trust, then you're not accessible. Even if you think you're putting yourself out to be accessible, they're not coming to you for a reason because they don't trust you. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing to me, uh, both being a back-end fireman and as you know, in a position of influence. And I always love that, man. I love saying that because it's different than you know, being a position of power. Uh, that doesn't mean anything. If you're in a position of influence, that that means a whole lot more. But I have sat there and watched other leaders when, you know, people uh, who lead us, when I'm on the back step, uh, like you said, they walk into a room and people get up and walk out or they walk in and the conversation stops, not because we were talking about them, but because we don't want to engage them because we don't want them to be in our conversation. Um, And so it's very interesting to see those types of dynamics because we can see it from 10,000 feet away they a lot of times cannot see it themselves. And, and it just blows my mind how they're so unaware uh, of how people view them or see them. Uh, and so I think it's part, you know, well, I'll ask you. So do you think it's partially because when they're doing a really good job, when leadership is being, uh, you know, true to themselves and true to the people that they lead and trustworthy, do you feel like people are more apt to like, you know, say thank you and talk to them openly about that? But when they're uh, kind of on the other side of it, they just don't get any input. Uh, yes and no. Uh, <clears throat> so I, if I if I'm understanding the, the, the question correct, so I apologize. Uh, so what I'm thinking is, is, um, you know, if uh, if you're able to be somebody, like I said before, that's accessible, somebody that's able to uh, kind of uh show that you appreciate the the labors of the of of the the men and the women um and uh, that you reward when when you're supposed to reward and all that stuff uh yeah that that stuff goes hand in hand but <clears throat> it has to be genuine so i throw that out there because um you know like you and i are around the same age so we're right on the cusp of the participation award people remember yeah you know? so like I, I feel very fortunate that um you know we were rewarded for doing something good, uh, which set the incentive for you to continue to try to develop and do great. And then if you saw your friend get the reward and, or award and you didn't, again, set the incentive for you to be that great. Um, so we've kind of bastardized that in the sense that uh, if you're in a, in a leadership position and people are doing a good job, absolutely recognize it, but also don't do it with such a broad stroke that it's like ingenuine, like, um, you know, where, where I work, uh, you know, the, the military has this strong, long tradition of uh, giving someone a challenge coin. Right. And uh, and, it, and the beautiful thing is, is it's gone into the fire service. So, like, you know, I know you yeah. have your own collection of them and stuff, which is nice. To, but it originated from the military and, and it's a big deal. Uh, so. What happens is, is uh, you'll get a phone call and they'll say, hey, the you know, the general's going to be in town. Do you have anybody that you want to give a coin to? And then you're like, ah, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, so-and-so's working. So I, I guess I'll give him a coin, um, you know, and, and then the person that really deserves it uh, either didn't get to get it or wasn't working that day or, or uh, then the general canceled the, you know, the, his meeting because he had something else going on and, and kind of like mucks up the whole thing. And, uh, you know, and, and, and then people aren't as, excited to be rewarded because they're kind of like, well, like this kind of can go to anybody. Right. 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 Really have any meaning like this guy, this guy called you last minute and said, do you have anybody that we should coin? 
you didn't think to put me in for it. So uh, I'll, I'll close that with, uh, if you're gonna appreciate the fruits of, of uh, the labor of your people, you do it genuinely. Uh, you should reward people, you should award people, you should give create some kind of incentive. Uh, you should uh, congratulate them and expose them for what they do amongst the rest of their peers, uh, whether they get their balls broken or not. I mean, this is the fire service. You're supposed to, yeah. uh, but just do a genuine, you know, don't, don't over bastardize the program. Like, you know, I, I hate employee of the month um, because <laughs> it becomes redundant. Well, it truly yeah. does. You know, like, it does. like, it, you know, well, because then you get into, you don't want to have the same guy have it over and over. So then you start, you know, by the seventh month, you're in July and you're like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so is kind of a jerk off. But, uh, you know, we already gave it to the other six great guys. So we'll give right. it to so-and-so. Like, get out of here. Now you bastardize the program. Like, if you do an employee of the quarter, employee of the year, whatever it is, those are nice. But make sure you do it right. Like I said, employee of the fi- of, the, of the month in, in the fire service, you know, like uh, you're just going to be handing it out like candy after a while. And it's going to lose its luster. Yeah, so there's there's two things that kind of popped into my head when you were talking about that, and it. <laughs> All right, so the, it yeah, it's just it made me laugh, and I didn't want to interrupt, so I was like, I'm just gonna let you talk, and then I'll I'll follow it up. So, uh, at my department, uh, we got challenge coins, and I was super excited because my chief walked up to me and he handed me a challenge coin, and he goes, Dave, you've been doing a great job, you've been working really hard, uh, you know, I've seen you put in a lot of effort. And, uh, you know, I just appreciate everything you do. And he did the whole shake in my hand, you know, with the coin. And I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. You know, and it's a really ornate coin. It looks awesome. Uh, and I was out in the bay and then I walked into the day room and like one of the other guys is looking at a challenge coin. And I said, oh, you got one too? And he goes, yeah, the chief said I've been doing a really good job and been working real hard. And I was like, mm. oh, he told me the same thing. And then, you know, like three other guys walk in and they're all looking at their challenge coins. And I'm like, oh. It was that type of thing, you know? And so like the gesture was nice, but it's like, you know, hold that kind of stuff. You know, I'm a huge fan of uh, me personally. I'm a really big fan of unit citations. Um, You know, unit citations, you can directly relate back to an event. So, you know, instead of just walking in and saying, hey, you're, you know, employee of the year uh, because you have been around and you're breathing. uh, Here's some, here's some things that you guys have done on calls where you maybe went out of the way or you did something exemplary. Uh, and so, you know, the unit citation to me, in my opinion, has always been very event driven rather than a popularity contest because you had to be there and you had to have done something in order to get that unit citation to begin with. Right. So I, uh, yeah, I, I like those. Yeah. yeah. So, so let me ask you this. So I've heard from a lot of leaders over the years and I've heard from leadership classes that I've taken, uh, that you can't be the, the, you can't be a friend and a boss at the same time. And that, I know you're making the same face that uh, that I, I always have. Uh, for those of you that are listening on a podcast, his face just kind of went sideways. So I don't, I don't agree with that. And I don't like it when people teach that uh, necessarily because I think that, that you can find a happy balance. I think that you can uh, partially be friends and partially be the boss. Uh, but what's your view on that? What do you think? So, I mean, you being having a, a strong medical background, you could hear, uh, you know, my, my, my respirations went up, which meant my heart rate rise as soon as, you said yeah. it because, as, soon as I said it. it, is, I... it, it yeah, it is, a, it is a topic that's uh, kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a little passionate about, a little near and dear. So real quick, so I'll say this, uh, full disclosure, disclaimer up front, and then I'm going to dive into this. Chase Sargent, 
Uh, love the dude. All right. You and I, uh, we got to hang out with him uh, before Chase is a, a, a solid dude. Uh, wrote uh, the two volumes of the uh, From Buddy to Boss. Great book. So I, I, I don't challenge, but I literally recommend anybody that's uh, diving into a leadership role, especially a company officer role in the early stages to read those books. Um, but anyway, let's let's uh, let's get into my opinion on this. So uh, you absolutely can still have a personal relationship with your your people. As a matter of fact, you should have a personal relationship with your people. And the reason why is because this is the fire service, right? This isn't your regular, uh, you know, Fortune 500 company uh, or, you know, we're, we're, we're in a production agency or whatever it is. You know, you can't be standoffish. You need to know their names, their kids' names, if their kids are in sports, their wives' names, uh, what sports team they like, uh, what, what makes them tick. Um, you know, uh, anything that you can possibly know personally about this person, you do need to try to, uh, create that time to, to get together outside of work. Um, you know, of course, if you're in some kind of a leadership role or whatever, obviously toe the, the ethical line, uh, as best you can so that you're not incriminating yourself later on in the event, God forbid, somebody does something stupid and you need to act like a boss. Um, but no, you know, I, I, uh, I, I get passionate about this because I, I have a quick story and, I, and, I, and I, I'm not hijacking the show. It's, it's very relevant to this. So years back, I put in a, a new floor. I put in a pergo floor in my uh, foyer and a, a real good friend of mine, Kip, uh, came to my house and he helped me lay the floor. Um, and, um, and we, and, you know, and it came out really good. So anyway, I was, I was a captain on the fire department. He was a firefighter at the fire department. So I went back and and the director. So there's a director that oversees the fire chief uh, in the military installation. So you have the the commander of the base, and then the director answers to the commander, and then the fire chief answers to the director. So the fire chief and police chief both answer to the director, etc. So he's director of uh, emergency services type thing, right? So I come in there, and this guy. Uh, so I have an assistant chief above me, the fire chief above him, and then this guy. So this guy bypasses all of them, comes to me, and tells me. Uh, that I shouldn't have had Kip at my house. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Dave, Dave, Dave. He's like, Kip owns you. I'm like, excuse me? He's like, yeah. He's like, you're a captain. You're a supervisor. If he does something wrong now at work, you try to hold him accountable. He's going to be like, Dave, we're buddies. I helped you lay that floor. And I thought to myself, man, that is the most batshit backward shit I ever heard in my damn life. Like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, this guy helped me out because we're brothers. We have that kind of camaraderie where, you know, he, he can help me out and I can help him out and vice versa if, 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 uh, if he needed it, et cetera. And the other more important thing is if I got to write my people up, if I got to counsel my people, if I got to have that hard conversation with them, they know that they must have screwed up. There's no way that there's a, you know, like a hidden thing here. I had a guy, uh, only a few months ago, you know, he got a little mouthy and, um, you know, and I let him have it. And he's like, oh, well, you know, you're always joking around. I said, yeah, I'm joking around. I said, let me tell you something. I said, I like to have a good time. I said, you're welcome for that because I can be miserable like other bosses you've had and you can hate life. But instead, I try to make it ha make everybody happy. I try to have fun, find the funk and dysfunctional. But when shit's got to be done, I expect you to do it. So when I'm calling you to do it, you should understand that that comes with a level of respect I already have for me for you. I'm not just trying to task you with something to break your balls. So, you know, yeah, there's a, a line that you need to tell, but you should absolutely have some kind of 
relationship with your people. You 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 are supposed to fraternize with your people. Um, you are supposed to know them and hang out with them and joke around with them. This is a fire service. Um, you know, you can sit at the kitchen table. I always hated that. You know, I'm a chief officer now. And I remember a guy telling me, you know, oh, well, you know, if you want to put on more bugles and put on the white shirt, you know, you got to remove yourself from the kitchen table. Forget about it, bro. Let me tell you something. If I, the day I'm not going to sit at that kitchen table anymore, I should just retire because that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. No. And, and, and you're so right. And, and I think it's funny because anybody that you talk to that's in a position of influence, who's promoted up. Uh, whether it's you know acting officer, officer, chief officer, uh, they have all been told two trains of thoughts. It's always uh, you know it, it's very uh, black and white to some, and it's the gray area for others. Uh, where it's you know you cannot be friends with the crews, you can't be uh, hanging out with them outside of work. And then the other side is kind of like you and I, where we're like, no, you can, and it usually helps lend itself to to more accessibility and more trustworthiness. Um, and so the one thing that kind of stood out to me, uh, as you were telling your story, you know, I had a boss who was, uh, a, a really, really just disconnected, didn't hang out with the crews, didn't say happy birthday. I mean, he wouldn't recognize anything personally. It was only work, only business. And, you know, I was in the midst of, of being in trouble. Uh, I was in the midst of getting some disciplinary action. And, uh, when we were sitting there as a crew in the evening, Guys are kind of talking to me about it and we're discussing my game plan for, you know, filing a grievance and all this other stuff. And, and, uh, they said, man, you must really hate this guy. And I said, no, I, I really don't. You know, I mean, if he called me right now and said, Hey, I'm, you know, my cars broke down on the side of the interstate, I would go pick him up. I'd offer to go pick him up or bring him a can of gas or whatever. And they're like, dude, he's, he's like coming after you. And I'm like, yeah, but that's different. That's work. Then there's the personal side of it. Right. Um, I've had very difficult employees who I've had to discipline over the years who I also hang out with outside of uh, the professional side. And I always make it clear to them, listen, if I have to come down on you, it's probably both of our faults. However, uh, when when it's work, it's work. And when it's business, it's business. And I've written people up and then gone over to their house later that night and had dinner with them. Right. Like had my family had dinner with their family. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I think that you can have both sides. Um, now that's dependent and it has to be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, you have to be very careful that you're not doing inappropriate things outside of work mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, and then having other stuff. And like you said, you can't incriminate yourself. Um, you have to establish a certain level of boundaries, but like, uh, so that they're not disrespectful, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and that's the thing is as you build those relationships, people start to understand what those boundaries are anyway. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, but if you look at like, uh, and, and let's take it outside of the fire service realm. If you look at companies that are successful, it's because of leadership that has a personal relationship with the employees. The boss that sits in the corner office, that never comes out of the office, that doesn't congratulate people or tell them happy birthday or you know host a, a, a group or a pod social event, they're disconnected. And so the ones that you see where people are happy and they want to work there and they love their bosses, it's the one where they have that personal connection. And so I, I love what you said. So kind of bridging off of that, you know, when we talk about being in the fire service uh, and being a boss and having leadership, we hold ourselves accountable. I don't know about you, but I hold myself more accountable uh, than I do most of my other people. Like if they're not doing something right, I have failed them because I haven't shown them. I haven't educated them. I haven't taught them. Um, so what do you think is the worst 
attribute of a leader as far as letting people fail. You know, there are, there, there are certain people that are just going to fail on their own. Um, but I feel like a lot of the people that fail, it's because of us, because of what we didn't do for them. So can you kind of mm-hmm. talk on that? Yeah. Uh, so one thing is, is uh, it's a sickness of mine. And I explained this to my fire chief uh, just recently. Uh, I can't knowingly see uh, something going to hang uh, off the table and not push it back in so that it doesn't fall off. You know, I'm not one of those people. Um, so one of the things that uh, <clears throat> that I feel like you, I, I get so stressed out at work. The guys that know me, you know, they'll know when I'm having a bad day. It's unfortunate. Um, but it's because I, I hold myself to a, a, a certain level of accountability. So like if, if they're screwing up, uh, so like, for example, like if they don't know where certain buildings are or uh, the layout of the building or where the alarm panel is in the building, I, I get mad at myself because, uh, you know, it's my responsibility to make sure that I give them the ample time and uh, and, and resources to, to, to gain that information so that they become more proficient. Uh, but I also have never, ever been a person, especially like in the training realm and in leadership. Right. So. Uh, to just set somebody up for failure. So life is full of teachable moments. So if somebody naturally does something wrong on their end, absolutely. That is the time to, to, to hone in and, and uh, I don't want to say attack, but attack the moment or, or seize the moment and say, uh, you know, okay, Hey, look, this is what happened. You, do you see how it feels right now? So here's what we should do different. Um, but I never set somebody up for failure. So like in the training realm, same, like I said, as the leadership realm is, you know, training is is for progression, right? Uh, so the same as when we're leading our people, everything we're supposed to be doing is for progression. It's not for punishment. It's for development. So um, we shouldn't be trying to set people up for failure. We shouldn't see somebody, uh, you know, that's going to fall, uh, you know, and just be like, well, <laughs> watch this, watch them fall on their face. Like, you know, give them enough rope to hang themselves. Like I had, I had, I had chiefs that said that before, you know, well, give people enough rope to hang themselves. Like you're an asshole, bro. Like, you know, you're in the position to try to help them become better. Uh, you're also in the position that you're not just there to help people. Cause that's kind of patriotic or not uh, patronizing, but, um, you're also there to build your organization. So you want to try to, you know, help your people be better in what they do for your organization because it just helps your organization be all that much better. So the the attitude of, of stepping back and watching people fall on their face or, or fail, you know, you're the failure, bro, because, you know, that that shows that is a direct reflection on on your ability or inability at that to be a leader because you're setting people up for failure knowingly and then you're subjecting that what cost you know like we're in the business dealing with lives and property that's why we exist right so what cost you're setting somebody up for failure well not to get like too cliche with it but the end result is there's a potential somebody could get hurt by you knowingly setting someone up for failure so no like i don't uh you know sometimes and i don't mean to do it I, i'm not trying to meddle into other avenues of stuff like people will see me trying to pick up slack or or or, or trying to help out in certain things because I'm just sitting there watching like, Oh, this thing's ready to fall off the table. Let me get in there, you know? Um, so I don't know if it's, I, I have the right strategy, but I'll, I'll tell you, like, I just, I've worked for people before that know something's going to go wrong and they'll sit back and just watch it happen. Like what is wrong with you? That's almost like sinister, you know? 
Yeah. No, there, there is a level. There is a level of uh, of. There's a level of sinister there, and and I think it's really important to understand that. You know, there's two trains of thoughts in everything in leadership, right? So, like, whatever we're talking about today, somebody else is going to come back and be like, no, they're absolutely wrong because of these things. You can choose whichever one. I've morphed my leadership style several times over the years, uh, and it's still going to morph, I know, before I retire. So, it's not always this this static thing where you just learn one way and that's the way it's always going to be. Um, but it's funny because I've watched people that are uh, kind of like what you talked about, where they'll sit back and give them enough rope to hang themselves. And they always, you know, it starts out that they give them the rope, then they blame them. It's always somebody else's fault. And then at the end of the day, what it usually kind of uh, rolls back around to is that they let them fail. So they were the cause of the issue. And exactly. so it, it's like you're kind of blaming yourself. Uh, and it doesn't usually uh, happen right away. It takes a while. But uh, yeah, it's very interesting to watch those dynamics play out because a lot of us uh, at the bottom end aren't in a position to where we can fix that. Uh, you know, we can warn them and be like, hey, man, you need to watch out because they're going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. But we're human <laughs> beings and we have personalities and those things are kind of hard to change. So yeah, I agree with yeah, you. So so with along those same lines and kind of still talking about that, when we look at you know, the leadership and the correlation between education, right? Uh, as we were talking about, there's different leadership styles. You learn them in different ways, either through being shown how to be a leader or by going and getting education. Uh, when I started out in the fire service, it was, you know, you, you got promoted or you attained achievements through hard work. Then it was, you could only get promoted if you had an associate's. Then you could only be promoted if you had a bachelor's. Now you can't be a chief without a master's uh, or, you know, a, a ton of experience to back up what you're doing. So <clears throat> we're starting to see this cultural shift probably within the last year or two. Uh, and one of the funny things, I just saw this on uh, TikTok, as a matter of fact, last night I was flipping through and there was a little clip of a pilot. Apparently Delta dropped their, their four-year degree requirement for their pilots. And he said... I don't agree with it. It's always been this way. You've always had to have a four-year degree to, to be a pilot, and I don't like it. And when I went through and read all these comments, it was amazing to hear the people say, like, yeah, I've been a commercial pilot for however many years for a smaller airline. They don't require four years, but I have all this experience, but I've never been able to get hired at a bigger airline because I don't have a four-year degree. And I see the same thing in the fire service where you have extremely passionate, capable leaders who maybe get passed up because they don't hold a, a degree. So where do you see that? I mean, I, it is important to have an education and I am not saying that people don't need to have a degree or shouldn't have some sort of education, but why do you think that requirement is in place and and do you think it's important? Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> it's, uh, I don't wanna sound wishy-washy. Uh, so I'm fairly moderate with most of the decisions I make because I try to weigh in on or at least assess what the, the the cost benefit is to a lot of different factors that uh, that happen, especially in the fire service, right? So uh, one, I'll start with my thought process uh, is that a lot of the certification level slash uh, degree level requirements for chief officers has become uh, more of a requirement because of uh, legalities. So. Uh, again, we're in the business dealing lives of property. 
So somebody has to be the guy that falls on the sword, right? Somebody has to be the guy that uh, gets called to court. Uh, somebody has to be the subject matter expert. Uh, so when uh, the legal end of it is uh, they they want to see your credentials. They don't care that you fought a thousand and six fires or that you were in a city uh, or that you were on an engine company and you cut this many roofs uh, when you were on a truck company. And they don't care about any of that. Uh, they care about credentials. Uh, so yes, the experience, you know, they want to know that you had a level of experience, but they care about credentials. So uh, I feel like in everything, we bastardized uh, the value of the credentials and the higher education piece of it. So there is merit to it. Uh, it does make sense from time to time. However, experience also makes sense. So we went from one end of the spectrum to the other. We went too extreme. You know, there was no bridge, no balance. So back in the day, we used to have chief officers that had a ton of experience and that were firemen and they moved their way in. And then we were like, well, no, you know, those guys kind of lack administration skills and we're not training them in the clerical end and uh, uh, the administrative end of what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, so let's make all these requirements over here of, you know, having to have a, an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree and having to have officer three or officer four, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, uh, the guys that had all the experience that were over here, they just kind of stopped. You know, we stopped promoting them. And uh, then we started getting guys that were paper firemen <laughs> and they had no experience, but they came in with a, a master's or a bachelor's and officer four and all these certs. And we promote them because they have all these things that we're saying, you know, uh, we need as far as credentials go, you know, like these people speaking of credentials, you know, that, that was another thing, you know, that they have all those letters, you know, it says EFO and, and CFO and CTO and AIOU and sometimes Y at the end of their name when they send out an email, like, you know, all these things. We didn't understand how to couple. We're still at that, at that level in our fire service. Unfortunately, how to couple the two, you know, how to marry the two. So like, um, you know, we need the experience end and we need that education piece. So like just speaking for myself, like I, I uh, Tuesday, I will be turning in my last uh, two papers for my bachelor's degree. Uh, I went through Columbia Southern. Uh, you know, I know people are like, oh, Columbia Southern. You know what, man? I don't care. Uh, I did it for me. So uh, I'm going to be 39 this year and uh, I've made it to the rank of assistant fire chief. And I'm pretty happy about that. And the Army side, you know, uh, there's a ton of nationally accredited certification level courses that you need to be in my position. Uh, but it was not easy for me. I'm not a great test taker. Uh, and, and I've done been doing this for, for over 20 years now. So, you know, I did it in a, in a decent time frame of experience and I've been to different places where I've gained knowledge and experience from other places on how to do stuff and what works and what doesn't work. But, you know, I do want to, um, continue to grow in, in, in the fire service. I want to grow as a, as a, as a presenter, as an instructor, as a, as a speaker, uh, as uh, hopefully one day, you know, as, as an author. Um, so this helped me with that education piece and how to be better at those things. But, you know, for, for what it's worth, I mean, just personally speaking, I am proud that I'm going to have that degree, uh, that I have that piece of paper, that credential, you know, to kind of, uh, solidify or justify, uh, that not only do I have an X amount of level of experience, but I, you know, I also have some education to, to go along with that. Um, and I feel like there's some merit to that. And, and I, I would like to, um, don't get me wrong here. I'm not trying to sound like a friggin' narcissist. I would like to at least try to set that tone, you know, and I have people that have already done that for me. Like, like, uh, you know, as a guy, that I'm, I'm friends with chief Reebok, you know, he's a ton of experience and he's gotten that education piece, you know, um, 
as long as we're not bastardizing it, there is value to it. The people that are experienced need to understand that, uh, you know, yeah, you're experienced uh, and that's amazing and it's it's warranted, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should 100% be leading the department because if you're really good at all that experience, then we sh you should probably keep pulling hose. That's unfortunately how we talked ourselves out of business is we were so good at being firemen that when we put on five bugles, we sucked at being a chief because we were so good at being firemen. So they started raising the bar as far as the, the credential requirements. So um, the people that are credentialed uh, that have all these uh, certificates and these uh, degrees and, and the friggin' letters at the end of their name, like I said, AIOU and all that shit, uh, they need to understand that you need experience too, bro. Just because you took a bunch of certs and took a bunch of classes doesn't mean that you can run a fire department effectively. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you could uh, manage a budget and I'm sure you can uh, put together some regulations and some policies and understand the format that they're supposed to be written in. Uh, but you couldn't, you know, lead your way out of a paper bag at a regular automatic fire alarm. So, you know, you need to learn a little bit of experience, too. So this is where we find ourselves. It's a great question. And I know I went on and on about it, but we find ourselves in this kind of position right now where uh, we just removed the experience and replaced it with education. It was like, you know, like everybody has to have these these pieces of paper that says that they're allowed to be in charge. Uh, we didn't understand how to balance it. So, you know, those the, the, when we, moving forward. As we uh, interview for positions and, 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 and jobs and, and all that, that should also be a requirement is you know, like have a four year degree, but also have like 10 years experience as a chief officer or as, an, as a company officer, and then another 10 or more years experience as a firefighter. Um, you know, before you go and just say, hey, I got a four year degree. So that means I can be the fire chief here now, right? No, like if all you know is, your accounting class that you have your, your bachelor's degree in. I don't want you running my fire department, especially if you have a, an accounting degree or, or, or one of those kind of degrees, you know, because then you're going to, they're going to be one of those people that talk you out of business, you know, like, Hey chief, we need more, we need more money for more equipment. You know, well, what do we, need, we don't need more money. I've been looking at the numbers. That's crazy. So I definitely don't want an accountant running my fire department either. <laughs> Well, and I asked the question a certain way and I didn't want it to be leading because I wanted you to give your, your honest opinion. Um, but now that you've kind of, you said your piece, uh, and bro, this is your show, man. I mean, it's about you. It's not about me. So that's, I'm loving, I'm sitting back just listening to you talk and I'm like, this is fantastic. So, <laughs> sorry, man. so no, a, a lot of the arguments that I've had, which full disclosure, right? Like I don't have a bachelor's degree. Um, I don't have a master's degree, but it's not because I don't want to, it's because I have focused on, you know, raising my family. I've focused on being a firefighter, being a paramedic, working hard, making money. Um, and, and I fully plan on, you know, I'm in my late thirties, early forties, but I don't want to not get an education. Um, and my father, <clears throat> my father dropped out his senior year in college. Uh, and he ran a very successful business and he always told me, he said, I regret not finishing my degree. I wish I had a degree. Um, and that was for personal reasons, right? He, he ran a successful business and I've watched firefighters who have very little firefighting experience, but have a master's or a doctorate, uh, be able to run a fire department extremely efficiently because they use the people around them who do have the experience. Sure. Uh, there's a there's a fire chief here in the Kansas City metro of a very prominent fire department who has zero firefighting experience. And it's an amazing fire department, very progressive, very aggressive. They're doing amazing things. But the reason why they're successful is because when they're getting ready to build a fire truck, he goes, listen, I don't know anything about fire trucks. You guys build it. Tell me what you want. 
<clears throat> and I'll make sure that you have the funds for it, mm-hmm. right? So th- he's doing it right. Um, there's other people that I've watched uh, in the education realm. I had an instructor one time uh, who walked in. He had a doctorate in education. He was extremely intelligent. He was the program director uh, or a, a, a program director for a uh, educational institution. And he walked in, and the way that he introduced himself is, my name is so-and-so. I'm going to be teaching your instructor class just so we're, we're fully transparent. I don't have any firefighting background. I don't know anything about firefighting. All I know is education. And I sat there and looked at him for a second and I went, you're working for a fire training agency and you have no firefighting background, right? Like doesn't even have fire one, doesn't understand anything about the fire service. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of weird, but he was really, really good at looking at the educational component because that was his thing. Now, if you picked him up and plopped him down in a fire department and said, here, run it, he would fail miserably, right? Uh, because he doesn't understand any of that stuff. And so, yeah, I, I think what we're starting to see as a trend is you're right. We we went full full regalia all the way down to you have to have a master's to be a chief. Um, but I always equate it back to my father-in-law was in the Vietnam War. Uh, and he talked a lot about some of the uh, officers that would come in. And, you know, they graduated from West Point. They were extremely intelligent. They had all this education. And they lasted a week. Mm-hmm because they didn't understand how war really worked. Then you had the guys who had no formal education and they were rough around the edges and they were, you know, they were the grunts, um, but they did some extraordinary things. And then you had the people right in the middle that were educated, that also had the experience. And they, those were the ones that everybody was drawn to. Those were the ones that everybody wanted to be around because they had the knowledge, they had the understanding, but they also had put in the work to, to do the job. And so I think that's where we're at in the fire services. We're slowly, you know, the last couple of chief uh, positions that I saw that were posted, it was, uh, you know, master's preferred, bachelor preferred, associates required, but then you had to have this much experience, you know, 10 years as a company officer, uh, 15 years in this. Uh, and so I think they're looking for both components, which I think is awesome. I don't want to see it go back to where, oh, you're the biggest, strongest dude. We're going to promote you because you're the biggest, strongest dude. Uh, Or you're the smartest chick. We're going to promote you even though you've only been on the job for six months. I I don't want it to get to that. Um, I think we need to meet right in the middle. Yeah, I agree. Uh, There's a need for it, but we have to understand the balance. We can't just discard or discredit the experience end, but we also can't promote based off of just having the credentials either. And that's, that's kind of what's been happening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, it's 2022. So I have to get off my ass and actually start doing some of this stuff. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm working now towards, uh, yeah, it's, uh, every year I'm like, Hey, next year I'm going to do this next year. I'm going to do this. Um, but I'm, I'm actually starting to work on my degree. Uh, I, I got accepted, uh, to Columbia Southern. I just need to finish up the paperwork and get in. Nice man. Um, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of my friends that are like, dude, you've been saying this for like four or five years that you're going to do this. Um, but at the same time, I'm also working on getting credentialed, uh, through CPSE. Uh, and so there's some things that I want to work on professionally. Uh, but that's for personal gain. It's not because I'm planning on being promoted or going anywhere. Uh, it's because I want to achieve those things myself. So, um, so when we talk about, okay, so we've talked about the leadership stuff at the top, right? Let's go to like the company level, uh, thing. So it's really, really difficult to work with dynamics of different people. And we see it all the time in the training side where, you know, you have the person that doesn't want to train, but they need to, 
you have the person who wants to train, but they're doing it all the time. They're already proficient. And then you have kind of everybody in the middle. When we talk about leadership, you run into the same issues. You know, you have the difficult employee, you have the yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And then you have everybody in between. How do you balance the crew dynamic, uh, as a leader in order to achieve the things that you talked about, like, you know, accountability and humility, uh, and trustworthiness and open door. How do you do that? So, uh, are you asking as a, as like a manager or as a mid-level leader, like a, like a company officer, like captain? Yeah. Like a Lieutenant captain. Okay. So it's, uh, not taken away from their responsibility or saying it's easier. Uh, it, but it is, it's 100% in their wheelhouse company officers. When I say that, uh, to, uh, to make that connection uh, and, and make that balance. Um, so yeah, the onus goes on the chief officers and the managers and all that stuff, but uh, a company, a good company officer uh, can make a department and a bad company officer can break a department. So like uh, a chief officer can put out a schedule of events of what the day, the daily itinerary is going to be for the day and, and the, uh, you know, everything that's going to be going on and nothing can be accomplished uh, if the captain uh, on the crew is just like, yeah, we're not going to do that today. Like, I don't feel like doing that. Uh, you know, good driver officers were given the time uh, by their their company officer to to come out and uh, and take them out and run them through the ringer and show them what they need to do. Guys that understand how to do searching of buildings or or building assessments and uh, and, and uh, you know reading buildings and, and building walkthroughs and pre-fire play and all that or or, or had good company officers. Um, company officers are, are, are honestly they're the most important. Because, uh, like I said, they have to balance those ends of the spectrum. So, like, you know, yeah, the the eighty percent uh, lives in the middle, and they're pretty easy. But you got the ten percent of uh, the guy that's just, you know, he's gung ho and he's in it, and and he's the yes sir, no sir, and and all that. And and then you get uh, the the ornery, uh, disrespectful guy that has either been passed up for a promotion for a number of years, or just feels like they know better than everybody, or is there sadly just to punch a clock. Uh, the captain or the lieutenant, you know, the company officer level uh, officer, those mid-level managers, they're the ones that are able to connect better at trying to um, improve those attitudes uh, because they're in it with them. You know, I, I, I miss being a captain. I used to say, you know, my favorite job was being a captain because, you know, like you're, you're kind of the head fireman, like you're still a fireman, but you get to kind of make the decisions on how the day's going to go. Uh, and, you know, understanding that, uh, what, you know, the, 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 the personalities of your crew, the characteristics of your crew and, uh, seeing how you can pull that all together and make everybody kind of have, a some kind of coexistence, you know what I mean? Uh, when the captain is allowing, uh, the, 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 the disgruntled employee to run rampant and be disgruntled, uh, it affects the the morale of the rest of the crew members. So that 80% that lives in the middle is now starting to slowly branch off into that negativity. And that negativity becomes more and more uh, the, the stronger percentage of, of the shift or the crew. Uh, so when the chief officer gets involved, it's like kind of like, you know, like the principal or when you were a kid uh, and not to sound sexist, just like when you were a kid, you know, like you'd get in trouble. And your mom would say, you know, we'll wait till your father gets home from work, you know, and you were like, shit, man, you know, uh, the captain can kind of prevent that 
from wait till your father gets home from work type thing and pull it all together and deal with it in the moment. Uh, and, and that's why it's very important for that person to, to not only want to uh, do that, but also it's, it's, it's very important for that person to, to have the ability to do that. Um, because a lot of times they'll be passive to it. Captains will be like, well, it's not my job. I'm not a chief, you know, let the chiefs handle that. Well, when the chief gets involved, nobody's listening anymore. Now it's, now it's the, the punishments are being dealt out. Examples are being made of, uh, and, you know, and then we become more pessimistic and toxic, uh, when it could have just been handled right in the moment. Yeah, no, I agree. And there's, as a company officer, there's so many things I know you and I've had this conversation before, uh, Man, there are so many things where I'm like, hey, we're going to fix this right here, right now, and it's never going to leave this truck, right? It's It doesn't yeah. go any further up the chain. The chiefs never find out about it. Now, there's some things, you know, when it involves, you know, public damage to property or, or a public complaint, you know, things like that, you can't hide. Um, but there have been a couple times where I'm like, hey, this is going to get fixed right here, right now, and not a single one of you are going to mention it again. Yeah, and hang they're all like, at the okay. lowest level. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So... Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle with that, right? Like being a chief officer is completely different. Uh, I was an interim, uh, uh, director for a little while. Uh, and it was tough. I mean, it was hard to kind of fill the, the voids of the things that I didn't know how to do. Um, cause I thought like, Hey, you know, I'm a decent company officer. I could probably do this. And, and my chief asked me and I did it. Uh, and I think I did it. Okay. I mean, I wasn't horrible at it. Um, uh, but there were some struggles. There were t- a lot of phone calls. Those, the friends of mine, uh, you know, you Billy Greenwood, uh, you know, a lot of guys that I called that I'm like, Hey, I got to deal with this. What do I do? Uh, chief yeah. Haig, <laughs> chief Haig up in Illinois. I'm like, Hey man, so this is what's going on. Am I thinking the, the right track? And he, and he was really cool about it. He's like, no, you're absolutely on the right track, but I needed that. Am I doing this right? But at the company officer level, I don't feel like we have that necessarily. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's, it's so dynamic and it's so, um, frequent that you're having to put out little brush fires. You're having to put out little things. So I agree with you. So as far as discipline, and I want to talk about this real quick, because I know you're on the military side. So things are a lot different as far as discipline. It's very black and white on how that process works. Um, But are you familiar with just culture, the just Mm -hmm. culture of discipline? So so just to give you a quick background and for those listening and watching that maybe don't know what it is, um, just culture examines, uh, an event, right? So somebody was backing a truck and they hit a pole. So outwardly they were backing a truck. They didn't have a backer. They hit the pole. They should be written up bottom line, right? Well, just culture goes back and looks at this and says, okay, why did that happen? Well, they were backing the truck. They have a video camera, video backup camera system, uh, on the new truck. They assumed that if they had the backup camera, they didn't need a backer, uh, you know, yeah. And so it, it kind of, it looks at, you know, did we as an organization screw something up? Are we culpable? And if they did something because of our actions or inactions, then maybe they don't need to be disciplined. Maybe we need to change some things and it becomes a learning experience. Um, and so what you find is that people are being written up uh, less and maybe it's just a teachable moment versus, uh, you know, a write-up. Like and that. so... Yeah. And so the reason why I bring this up is because right now, culturally in public safety, we're struggling. And anybody that doesn't think that we are, you're fooling yourself. Um, People are leaving in droves. We're firing people in droves for one reason or the other. Um, And so I feel like people are on edge. And and if you start writing people up for stupid shit, 
that is the one thing that will push people out the door faster than uh, almost sure anything will. else. Right. So what are your thoughts on discipline and how do you balance that? You know, there's times that I've got pulled in and they're like, Hey Dave, we're going to write you up. And I'm like, yeah, I deserve that. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I probably deserve that right up. I'll take that one. Yeah, right. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And then you get the people that want to file grievances on everything and it doesn't matter if they were right or wrong. Uh, oh, yeah. They just want to, oh, yeah. they just want to go through the process. So how do you, how do you balance that uh, in leadership where you want to make sure that it's, it's being dealt out fairly. Um, but you're also tied by the fact that maybe your organization government uh, doesn't have any leeway. Like you screwed up, you have to get a verbal, you've already had a verbal, you're going to get a written, you've already had a written, you're going to be suspended. How do you make sure that that's uh, taken the correct way? Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in the Department of uh, Defense, there's a, there's a table of penalties that they, they, re, they re refer to. Uh, so you have, and it's the same as in the municipal side, you know, you have your, uh, your, your events leading up to the pattern of behavior, right? Uh, so everything has to be documented. So we have uh, our MFRs, memorandum for record, you know, and, and then our, our, um, our LOCs, our letter of, letter of counseling, uh, and then it goes into the LORs, the letter of reprimand, et cetera, like that, right? So, um, so all this stuff has to be documented leading up to it. Uh, you know, just I'm, I'm sharing this just so you understand how we do it where I work. We are a union shop. I'm not in the union, but we do have IAFF, International Association of Firefighter uh, Local, um, in our uh, in our fire department, um, and uh, you know, and 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 that's a good thing because uh, sometimes uh, the perception of how the Department of Defense views discipline. Uh, is, is like you said, very cut and dry, very black and white. So it's nice that in the fire service, you know, we have that union shop to kind of uh, balance on, is this really something that is supposed to constitute this discipline? Uh, is this negotiable? Uh, we're going to grieve it. You know, we'd like to see if this person can have uh, three days instead of nine days, whatever it is. Um, so to answer your question, <clears throat> uh, I do, and I have been on, on the receiving end more than once of discipline. Uh, I do believe in discipline. Uh, I think that it is a physical reminder of what's out of bounds. Um, because we can get so overzealous with what we're doing that we put narcissistic blinders on and we don't realize that, uh, you know, we're no longer for the good of the, the good of the good. And we're, we're kind of just, uh, have this evil selfish intent that's fueling us to, to do something. It becomes malice, uh, malicious and, and, uh, you end up getting yourself in trouble. So, uh, I am a firm believer in discipline because it helps make us better and it helps establish the boundaries and keep us in bounds and keep us, uh, goal focused, goal oriented. However, uh, leaders, managers need to not use discipline as a way to abuse the system. So oftentimes we have, uh, you know, people manage or, or lead in personal and not in professional. 
So like I said before, you need to be friends with your people. You need to understand uh, what they need to know or what, what they do. You need to know all that stuff. You need to uh, understand their their characteristics, their personalities, what their background is, what their personal life is all about. You need to know all that stuff. You need to be intimately involved with them, right? Um, but this is where that buddy-to-boss separation uh, happens. Uh, and there are people who I really love that I work with or that work for me or have worked for me. Uh, that I also have had hard conversations with in my office um, where I had a certain level of authority or whatever. Um, I don't believe that paperwork is the answer initially. I think that uh, not that it's a last resort, but it's there are so many. This is in my experience in the fire service. There are so many times that you can have a hard conversation with somebody uh, like I know for, for me, like uh, if a chief officer who I respected uh, or, uh, or a captain or whatever that I respected. And that's a key thing there is respected came to me and said, you know, you're being an idiot. You're being a jerk off and you're screwing up, <clears throat> man. I felt like, Oh shit. You know, I let this guy down and, uh, and I want to fix that. Uh, so it didn't come to paperwork because I, I was given the, the, the forewarning of like, Hey, you know, like you're, you're closely getting out of bounds here and it's going to let me down. And then I'm like, man, well, I really look up to this person. So I don't want to let them down. Uh, but, you know, any event that you have to document and, uh, and and start that paper trail, do it. But but like I say, you know, don't do it based off of personal feelings. That's the issue we run into is uh, we have people who will abuse the ability to write somebody up because they don't like them. So, you know, like so-and-so wasn't in their collared shirt this morning. So, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to write him up. I'm giving him a letter of counseling. Well, you don't like that guy. You know, the, your, your friend hasn't worn a collared shirt for the past month and you didn't say a friggin' word, but now you want to give this guy a letter of counseling. Like, come on, bro. You know, uh, use it when it's necessary. Use it when uh, you have to uh, you've exhausted the options of having those hard conversations where now it kind of has to put pen to paper uh, and, and you establish the boundaries. Sometimes people are lost. Um, and that's an unfortunate reality is no matter how much reform you try to do, no matter how much paperwork you try to do or, or, or discipline or whatever, you know, some people are just content being discontent. Um, and you just, you know, you know, you, you owe them and the fire and the fire department that you belong to the, the, uh, the due diligence of at least trying to offer the, uh, the opportunities of reform and, and, uh, you know, show the boundaries. One other side of the coin, Dave, I'm sorry. The union people don't file a grievance because the management decided to go from black pens to blue pens. You know, this is the same thing here. So, like, you know, I, people are listening to your show. I'm sure, like, you know, they're like, yeah, man, you know, managers should do that. He's absolutely right. Like, yeah, you know, they should. But you guys need to do it, too. You know, this is a reciprocated process. You know, you can't just uh, file paperwork uh, willy-nilly because you don't like the chief or, you know, because you got passed up for promotion. So now you're the union president and you're going to try to stick it to the man, you know, like we're doing the exact same thing in the unions that we do in the managers. You get these bad union presidents that file grievances and ULPs unfair labor practices for no good reason other than their personal intent. And then you get these chief officers who will write people up for no good reason other than their personal intent. And that's where we kind of muck it up. And that's where we have this relevant conversation where you ask this question you know, instead of it just kind of being black and white and us having like an understanding of like, yeah, you know, you screwed up, you get written up. It is what it is. Instead, we have to have a debate on it because both parties who are responsible for the grievances or for writing people up are screwing it up with their personal agendas. 
Right. Well, and it's, so that's what the reason why I love that just culture so much. And it actually came from the healthcare side, right? It was for like physicians, um, and nurses, but it it really, you know, I, I have adopted it in one of my organizations. Uh, the other organization that I'm part of the, the division or the deputy chief is looking very hard at it. Um, and the reason why is because it takes out all that personal side of it, right? Like there was an event we look into the event, what were the causes? Um, and there's an actual flow chart that you follow. And at the end of it, when you come down to it, uh, there's, there's no fault for the person who committed the act. There is fault without prejudice, right? So like they, they screwed up. Uh, and then there's, there's significant, uh, you know, event where it's undeniable, you know, like you, you were doing 115 miles an hour in, in the staff car and you blew a red light and you wrecked a car. You can't come out of that, right? Like there's, you can file all sorts of union grievances, but at the end of the day, you were doing a hundred and some miles an hour and you blew through a red light and you hit a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but then we also go back and look at, you know, when was the last time that person had an EVOC class? Uh, is there a pattern of behavior? Did we not recognize that? Did we not do anything about that? And so it brings that culpability to the organization. And so I think it brings kind of a uh, level playing field and don't get me wrong. I've been sitting in that office. Like I said earlier, I've been sitting in that chief's office going, yep, that sounds fair. And they're like, well, but you, wait, what did you just say? I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, that's cool. Like, I'm cool. Give me the paper. I'll sign it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you're not going to fight this. I'm like, no, cause I did it. Like I absolutely did that. I own up to it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll try not to do it again and give me my write up. And they're so like taken back by that because they're so ready for that fight. They're so used to somebody wanting to, you know, come at them with their, with their guard up. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think within that organization, what I've seen, um, and there's other ways to do it than just culture. That's just my personal favorite. Um, but with, but what, yeah, with that just culture, what it really does do is kind of bring that level playing field to where at the beginning it's fact finding. It's the same process as the, the general disciplinary deal. Um, but at the end it's both sides saying, yeah, I screwed up this, you screwed up that, or listen, we screwed up. We're not going to write you up for this. Do you know how important that is for an employee to hear every once in a while? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, something went wrong. You backed the truck up. We never told you guys, if you have a backup camera, you still need a backer. So yes, we're going to go ahead and let this one go. However, the policy is now changing. <laughs> the new policy is going to be put out next week. Um, and then from that point forward, anybody that backs the truck up without a backer and hits something, they get in trouble because they knew. So yeah. it, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a very touchy subject and I appreciate you answering it because I know most people kind of shy away from that. Uh, they don't want to dive into the weeds. So I don't want to cut you off just uh, for the audience. Uh, it's like you just said, I liked what you said. Uh, it's that self-ownership piece. So I laughed when you said about the 150 mile an hours. Uh, recently, uh, we have a big brother system in, in our uh, in our vehicles that had me clocked at uh, 106 mile an hour on the interstate in the command vehicle. <laughs> uh, and I'm a chief officer. So the fire chief, you know, he gets wind of this and, and he's like, oh, you know, how do I handle this? And, you know, so and so. I said, well, you know, I said, listen, man. I said, uh, I'm voluntarily uh, completely open to you giving me some kind of discipline on this and and all that because it sets a bad image for the guys on the floor that you're going to allow your assistant chief to get away with something, you know, like, like, I, you know, I, don't, I have no reason to lie to you. Like, there's no way I did that fast. I, you yeah. know, obviously the system's flawed, but I know I was moving. Uh, so yeah. I wasn't going to lie about it. Uh, so I got a letter of counseling and I got, you know, some kind of a uh, thing in my jacket that said that I had to take uh, – 
uh, de- whatever defensive driving, which is great. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna save five percent on my insurance. Car, yeah, on your car insurance. You know, but but I, but the thing is, is that self ownership is the point of that. Um, you know, if you did something wrong, like me, just I'm I'm not 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 everybody's like me, but if one of my guys did something wrong and they come to me and they own it, and I know that I can handle this internally, where it doesn't have to go outside, uh, I'm gonna keep it at the lowest level because i i'm pretty sure that the fact that they came hat in hand and, and came to me to tell me that they did something wrong uh i know that there's no discipline that's gonna that's gonna re- replace that humility they already yeah. feel like shit they're absolutely. gonna never do it again you know absolutely mm-hmm. well and and, and i want to tell this story real quick because you brought up the driving thing and it's funny because we've all at some point anybody that's been in this business long enough has done the whole like you know, you pulled some of the seat cushion up into your rear end a little bit as you're driving. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, many, many, many moons ago, I worked for an ambulance service that uses a lot of letters in their name, uh, primarily three. So when we were on the ambulance, they had this mobile data system and it would clock your speed. And if you went over 70 miles an hour, it would ding at you. And if you went over 75, it would do two dings. And if it did it three times, you got it, you got docked. Right. So you get a a ticket, but it was like an internal corporate ticket. Um, And I believe there was some sort of monetary penalty, like they would payroll deduct or something like that, um, because they deemed that anything over 70 miles an hour was unsafe and they didn't want their people driving that. So uh, we had run a call for a pediatric seizure. We got on scene. This kid was really sick. I mean, really, really, really sick. It wasn't just a febrile seizure, one and done. I mean, this kid was was really, really bad. Um, and so just to look on my face and look on my partner's face, uh, I grabbed a rider from the fire department. We threw the kid in the back. We were about 10 miles from the hospital. Uh, and I remember hearing that thing dinging up front, just like ding, 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 ding. I mean, it was going off. And, and after the call, I looked at my partner and I said, Hey man, I said, you, I said, you're going to lose your whole paycheck. Right. I said, how fast were you going? He goes, I just had it floored. I didn't care. I was going as fast as I could. Right. And, and at no point did I feel unsafe. We weren't flying all over the road. I mean, it was pretty much straight shots. Um, but, uh, he, he pulled me off to the side after the next paycheck and he goes, they didn't payroll deduct anything. And I go, what are you talking about? I said, there's no way you got out of that man. And he went to the supervisor and the supervisor says, no, I wrote a letter to the director. And I said, listen, this was an extraordinary circumstance. They had an extremely ill child. Uh, tensions were high. I looked at all the other data around it and there was no brake checking. There was no swerving. Uh, it was only on straightaways cause there's, you know, it's GPS tracked. He said the, the speed where he was doing over the limit was on straightaways on the highway. Um, I don't feel like there was any unsafe acts. And so they didn't discipline him for it. And I think that's huge. I mean, that was back in like 2007, 2008. That is huge. Um, and, and that was huge, you know, for me looking the right at that. Way. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it was, and the kid ended up surviving. Um, now you can sit there and say, you know, oh, they only save three minutes. Well, you know what? That was three minutes that I didn't want to have that sick kid in the back of my ambulance. Sure. I wanted them to be in the hospital getting taken care of mm-hmm. uh, more than what I could do. So uh, last question real quick. I want to kind of dive into this. The perception of leadership for those coming into the fire service. You know, we start out as probationary. We always have anybody above us is already in a position of influence. Right. If you influence that person the right way, they're going to go up in the fire service and be uh, have a positive look on things uh, and do well. If you push them off to the side and you're an asshole, uh, things don't usually work out because those are the habits that they learn. Yeah. So 
what would you tell a new firefighter coming in that is looking at people in positions of influence uh, for the good and the bad? You know, how do you look at somebody who's maybe not a good leader or not a good influencer uh, versus, you know, maybe somebody else at the same station or the same department is really dialed in and the person really likes them? You have to deal with both. You can't just automatically be drawn to the good person. You always have to deal with the bad person. So how do they balance that? Uh, that's a, it's a, it's a good question. You know, um, a lot of times, uh, we lose people because of failed leadership or bad leadership. Um, I would say speaking for myself, I don't, I'm not trying to knock anybody. I I've had some good leaders, some good mentors, uh, a, a couple of good chief officers. Uh, but for the most part, I've had some, I guess what, what I would consider not great leaders. Um, and that is what kind of inspired me to aspire to getting in the leadership role in a position of influence, because I thought to myself, I'm never going to allow somebody under my watch feel the way I feel. Uh, I had people that made me feel stupid or uh, not wanted or not, not deserving to be part of it. Um, <clears throat> all that. And, uh, <clears throat> and I, I would say to somebody is, is um, if you have a bad leader, focus on all the things, not personally, but just professionally, organizationally, holistically, uh, that you would do different than them. And then start developing a plan as to why you would do them different and how you would do them different. So that one day you can be in a position of influence and you can do it different. Because you know that that person was not doing it right. And then I would tell them, focus on a person who you believe is doing it right. That is a good example of what you want to become. There's always that one fireman or one driver or one captain or, or lieutenant or, or chief officer who, you know, people are drawn to. And they're like, oh, that's the guy. I don't want to be that guy. You know, look at the positives of that person because nobody's perfect, so they, they have negatives also. But look at the positives of that person and, and, and see how you can use those and implement those into, into your development. Uh, I say to everybody that uh, I hire in the fire service, I've been saying this uh, since I was up at West Point. Um, we brought on some new guys, and, and I say it here at Letterkenny now. Um, so I tell them, today is an, an amazing day. There's a lot of shit that's going to happen over the next 20 years. Uh, you're going to deal with bad leaders. You're going to deal with personality conflicts. You're going to deal with time away from home, personal issues, policy changes, etc. cetera. Uh, how great you feel right now is what's going to help that become tolerable over those next 20 years. Uh, is knowing the feeling when you got on the job or when you first became a firefighter or whatever it is. Um, that helps you navigate through all those shitty days. And if you're somebody who wants to do it better, do it for the good of the, the department and for the good of the fire service. So like, uh, not to sound cliche, but like I have this opportunity, uh, you know, and you do Dave and, and a lot of us have been fortunate to have this opportunity where we can be on stuff like this and talk about uh, 
what we deal with or how we would deal with it or whatever. And I'm very fortunate. I always say that, you know, I, I don't feel worthy of it, but I'm going to capitalize on the opportunity uh, because I did work for people that um, would set me up for failure, would allow me to fall on my face, use training as a way to make fun of me or, or as punishment and not for development. I did have people that didn't show me the path or show me the way uh, or block me from uh, possibilities or opportunities. Um, so do it for the right reasons, for the good of, of, of the fire service. Cause there's a lot of, you know, 2002 and 2003 Dave McGlynn's out there uh, who weren't being inspired properly. Uh, and, you know, I don't want you to give up because I know that it's going to be uh, one of those kind of trying times where you're going to be like, well, this is, is this for me? Um, seize the opportunity to, to, to just look at the goal at the end is to, to one day be in a position to try to make it better uh, and then broaden that message to as many people that you can so that we can filter out those, those people that bastardize leadership. So we don't, so leadership isn't um, the best selling book in, in the fire service uh, because we're doing it right. Finally, you so, know, no. And, and, and I think it's so funny because four years ago, I was sitting in classes and learning about leadership and they were talking about all the, you know, the big ticket items that are causing people to have issues within an organization and how to prevent those things. Um, and fast forward to now, you know, post COVID or we're still, well, not post COVID, we're still in COVID. Um, but you know, whether it's economics, whether it's financials, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, disciplinary, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Different people are being shoved out of the fire service for different reasons. But the one thing that I keep seeing over and over and over again is that it has very little to do with anything other than how they feel they're treated within an organization and the the difficulties that they're having to run up against, right? Like I just had a really, really good friend who quit pre-hospital EMS. He was a EMS only. He quit pre-hospital EMS to go work in a hospital. And I called him. I said, man, I said, I heard you're quitting. And he goes, yeah, man, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. And I said, dude, that sucks. I said, you're really good at what you do. And, uh, I said, so was it like the money? Cause you know, they're paying the hospitals are paying like critical staffing pay and all this other stuff for medics and yeah, they can make yeah. more money than they can in the field. He goes, no, bro, it didn't have anything to do with that. He said, I've been working really hard at getting a promotion. Uh, I was the next guy in line. And, uh, at the last minute they ended up promoting a guy that they hired six months ago. And I said, Oh, that sucks. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I said, was the other guy more qualified? He goes, no. I said, was the other guy more, you know, did he do better on the testing? And he goes, no, he goes, I talked to everybody on the hiring committee and they were like, no, we didn't, we didn't even recommend that guy. <clears throat> and I said, why do you get the position? He goes, cause he's like really good friends with the boss. He's a company man or a yes man. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, right, wrong or indifferent leaders have different reasons for doing things, but by that one action, you caused a, a 20 year paramedic to quit and go out of the fire mm -hmm. service and go or out of EMS and go to a hospital. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's their gain and it's his gain because he's going to make more money doing it. But it wasn't that wasn't the reason why he left for money. It was because of how he was treated. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just I hate to see that. I don't want to see that anywhere. So I, I don't again, I don't want to take away from you. I'll, I'll make it quick. Uh, I got to West Point because of that same thing. I loved where I worked. I worked at a base that's uh, right by where I live. 
uh, and I was a captain and I loved what I was doing. Um, but I was uh, not being utilized for what I could do. And uh, I wasn't able to, to handle my crew the way that, that, that I, I, I was able to handle them. Um, and uh, I felt like I had no growth and I went on USA jobs and I saw that West Point was hiring a training chief and I decided, Hey, I'm going to put in for it. What the hell? I have nothing to lose. And uh, I went in very transparent in the interview because I didn't think I'd get the job and I got the job and, uh, and I, and I, and I took the opportunity and it has continued to work out for me. Uh, so, you know, the place that I left, I don't mean to sound arrogant. It was kind of their loss, uh, you know, because of all the opportunities I've had since, making that decision um you know it happens people you're gonna have people that aren't gonna be able they're they're either gonna perceive you as a threat because you're a bright shine and light uh or uh, because you're not a company man or a yes man uh, because you might do things a little different or go against the green and when i say go against the green i don't mean be insubordinate i just mean that uh you know it, it you have um a better outlook on what's the the for the benefit of the organization and not what their personal agenda is you just got to try to stay the course though yeah no for sure and and like i said i think that we're going to get through this on the other side i mean it's it, it always ebbs and flows right like you get the the something really bad happens and then we're kind of struggling and then everything kind of calms down but i think right now uh without getting into it too much and this isn't a political uh show but you know it is very difficult for people right now you know like i just got a raise but i lost all of it because of inflation so i'm mm-hmm. essentially getting paid the exact same as i was before i got the raise yeah you gained nothing yeah yeah so it's like eh, whatever i got a raise cool but you know they, there are bosses who sit there and they say not mine but they would say well you know listen we're taking care of you you just got a raise yeah, yeah but i really didn't right like if you really look at it i didn't really get a raise so yeah you have to balance it um and, and i think I'm, I'm seeing some amazing things in our travels and you travel around the country you see this too um you know i'm seeing some amazing leadership stuff uh i'm seeing some amazing leaders doing some amazing things uh and i feel so fortunate to have people that we know um you know the scott thompson's the craig Hags. um uh, you know, there's so many of them out there that are teaching such a great message. Uh, and with you, I've never called you and had a conversation with you about leadership and walked away from it going, yeah, I agree a hundred percent with everything that he just said. You always give me a different view, <laughs> you know, and we can meet in the middle on things that we don't agree on, but the things that you've taught me, uh, are insurmountable. I mean, it's just, it's been amazing, man. So I appreciate that uh, for I everything that you've, that you've, you've done that for me. Um, so how can people get a hold of you if they have questions, if they want to pick your brain, if they want you to come talk, how do they get a hold of you? Thanks. Um, so uh, I'm on Facebook under my name, Dave McGlynn. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter feed is chief underscore McGlynn, M-C-G-L-Y-N-N. I also own my own teaching business. Uh, so like Valor Fire Training, mine's called Passion in Leading and uh that's the I'm on Facebook and Instagram under that passion in leading. And uh, my email is passion in leading all together at gmail.com passion in leading at gmail.com. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, anybody that wants to reach out to me, I appreciate it. I don't know if I have any answers, uh, but you know, I'll talk shop with you. Uh, I appreciate anybody interested. 
Yeah, and the one thing that I want to say, and, and I always mention this at the end of every show for those of you that are watching and listening, you know, it's a standard question, like how do people get a hold of you? Um, the one thing that I will say is I have not had anybody on this show who has the personality that if you sent them a message and said, hey, I here's the situation that I'm in, how do I handle this? If you don't know the answer, and I can say this about all the other guests that I've had, if you don't know the answer or if you're like, man, I'm not really the one to answer this, I know exactly what you're going to do, and I want to see your facial expression when I say this. You're going to say you're going to email back and be like, "Hey, man, that sucks that you're going through this. I don't really have the answer, but here's the name and phone number, or name and email of somebody oh, yeah. I know that will take care of you." Oh, yeah. um, that's just that's just how we are, right? And those are the type yeah. of people that we associate with. So, um, yeah, don't ever, you know, when I put that out there, uh, I've had people send me messages, and I'm like, I, "That is not in my wheelhouse," but I know somebody. And so mm -hmm. I connect. Them I know a guy, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate you being on. I love you. Uh, there cool. there are very few people in this world that I truly, truly have a, a love for uh, that goes as deep as the one for you. So I appreciate uh, you, everything that you've you. done for me. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you in person. 